Good morning. It is uh, great to be with you. It's good to, good to be back. Uh, this feels like my first normal, quote-unquote, Sunday uh, in a while. I've been here uh, back from our extended break this, this summer uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, hey, thank you. Uh, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm mostly excited uh, about being together this morning. So <laughs> just kidding. I am excited. Uh, I'm excited about the series, The, the Comparison Trap. Um, at the beginning of, uh, of, the, of my sabbatical last spring, um, and for those of you who don't know what a sabbatical is, it's just spend, extended time to rest, uh, to do some professional development, some personal development. So I got a little bit of extra time to do that this past summer. And so this past spring, uh, my first uh, week away from the office, uh, I was able to, you know, start to uh, check off these items on my list that you, you kind of have, but you don't really have time to do those things. And one of those things that have always, uh, I've always wanted to be, you know, better at or have a better thing is, is my lawn. Uh, can I get an amen? Anybody there? Uh, take pride in a good lawn. Uh, and my lawn's always been average, just average. I, I feel like it's never been like really terrible. It's never been one of those highlight lawns that you walk, you drive by, and you're like, "Oh wow, that guy knows what he's doing." Um, and so I'm like, "This is my moment." And and so that my first week on my break, I really poured a lot of energy into my into my lawn, and I was um, you know doing the whole uh, you know prepping it, watering it, fertilizing it, doing doing all the stuff to it, and uh, and I I got overly aggressive and I over fertilized it, uh, and because um, my machine broke, uh, so I just had to do it by hand, and I it was just like very disproportionate, so I had like all of these patches of yellow. Um, that, you know, the speckled lawn. And I was like, oh, it like, looks like the worst lawn on the block now. And so, uh, and so then I started digging up uh, these patches of yellow and, like, and like bringing the dirt back up. And then I put, like, fresh seed in it, and I, and I watered it faithfully. And, like, uh, and wouldn't you know it, a few weeks later, uh, that lawn uh, started to look really, really, really good, and I was excited. Uh, and to make things better, my neighbors on both sides do not do anything with their lawn. And so there's weeds. Uh, it's not green. It's yellow. And then I had like this, you know, this glorious green lawn right in the middle of my two neighbors' lawns, uh, and that made me feel amazing. Uh, and, you know, I made sure to, like, mow, mow my lawn, like, right on the property line, right? So there's, like, a clear green and yellow line. Um, and so then I, you know, and I go and I drive out of the community. And as I'm driving out of the community, uh, you know, my lawn looks pretty good right where we are. But if you just go around the corner, there's some amazing lawns. And then I started to feel like, hey, my lawn isn't quite as good as I, as I hoped it would be. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but I find myself always in my mind uh, comparing uh, my life with somebody else's life, my lawn with somebody else's lawn. Uh, you know, my uh, things like, you know, I look at my own muscles and my, my muscles, uh, you know, they, uh, they could use some work. And I look at other guys and they're like, just chiseled. And I'm like, man, chiseled. I mean, I, I'm getting older and I'm losing hair. And I look at some of you guys and you just have flowing locks. I'm like, how does that happen? Why can't I have that head of hair? Uh, you know, I can remember when we, uh, Lisa and my wife and I got married and we, we got our first condo. And I was so excited. We had this little 600-square-foot condo. It basically had a bedroom and a table to eat at. And I thought it was the most amazing thing in the world. And then our friends got all, like, these little uh, homes. I was like, I was fine with the condo. But, 
now I want a home. And so then we moved to Cranston. We got a duplex. We were in a duplex. And it was, it was really, really great. And then, you know, my, my friends got these houses with garages and, like, these detached homes. And I'm like, oh, you know, the, the duplex was great. But, you know, we, I think we need to, you know, get something different, especially now that we got three kids. So we moved in, into the house that we're in. And, and now that we're in the house that we're in, uh, there's always bigger and better somewhere, uh, whether that's a car, whether that's a house. Uh, maybe you want kids and you look at other people with kids, you're like, oh, if I could just have the kids. Maybe you have kids, and you wish you had somebody else's kids. Uh, <laughs> you just, it's always in front of us. And, and we find that, you know, we get fined somewhere. We, we, we're here, and then we're like, if I could only be over there. And then we get over there, and once we're there, the problem with there is that there turns into here. And then I look over there, and then we go over there, and we're like, I'm there, but now that I'm here, I'm here, and there's there's over there. And so here is always, there is always becoming here, and then there is always somewhere else. And this is the comparison trap that we always find ourselves in. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I was at a sports game uh, with my son. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you which son or which sports game because I, I want to keep the, the players in this scenario um, anonymous. But I was at one of my kids' sports games. He has a really close friend that's on the sports team, and, he, and his friend was injured. And I was talking with their parents who are friends of ours, uh, and there's a new kid on the team that was, that was playing the position of the injured kid, um, our friend. And uh, the, the new kid was doing really, really well. Uh, and he was getting a lot of points and things in the game. Um, and every time that he made a good play, you know, we would kind of look at each other and be like, oh, I could just feel it for him. Have you ever cheered against somebody that's on your own team? <laughs> oh, another point for us. That sucks. Um, and I've coached some of my kids, and I've done that as a coach. How ugly is that? You're like, kids that you're coaching. You're like, ugh. Um, so it gets pretty dark if we were to actually uh, understand the comparing and the competing that goes on in our minds, in our hearts. And we learned it young. We learned it, um, you know, I remember being in elementary school and learning the right way to dress and the wrong way to dress. I remember that some kids were really smart and com- some kids weren't, and you didn't want to be the ones that weren't. Uh, I remember being like self, I got like a birthmark on my arm. I remember like being so self-conscious about my arm that I would uh, always wear sleeves that were longer than my birthmark because I didn't want anybody to see my birthmark because nobody else had it and I wanted to be uh, acceptable like everybody else. And then you move on to athletics and it's a very competitive world and you want to make sure that, you know, you're good enough, that you're fast enough, that you're strong enough. And the things as I've grown older, the things that I compare myself against have changed, but the comparison trap always remains the same. And to make matters worse, we live in this age where we become ultra aware of what's happening in other people's lives. Awareness breeds comparison, and in the world of social media, we are even more aware of one another's lives than we were uh, in decades previous. And in fact, we're comparing ourselves, not just other people's worlds, but to other people's highlight reels, the things that they want you to see, and we become really good at hiding the things we don't want people to see. And so it just ups this sense of falling behind, not being good enough, not having enough, not being quite there. And over 100 years ago, there was a a quote that was given, and this was observed, and it was uh, by President Theodore Roosevelt, and he said, comparison is the thief of joy. Before social media, before the rat race that we feel now, 
he observed this a long time ago, that the comparison is the thief of joy. And I think comparison has only gotten worse as our awareness has gotten more severe. And you know this to be true, don't you? You have experienced this. You have experienced a loss of peace, a loss of contentment, a loss of being okay with who you are and where you are. Uh, you, I think as I tell these stories, we laugh together because um, we're like, yeah, you know, I, I've experienced that, never having enough. If I could only live there, if I could only drive that, if I could be that, if I could own that, if I could experience that, and we begin to live with minimal joy, increasingly less joy. But Jesus actually calls us to be people of joy. And I think we're living with minimal joy because uh, we live in what Andy Stanley refers to as the land of Ur. And we all spend time in this land. It's an exhausting life. It's a, it's a life-sucking place, but we all spend time in this land. And the land of Ur uh, is the place where everybody is richer, skinnier, smarter, taller, funnier, married-er. And we live in this land of Ur, and it ends up making us feel inferior. And I know there's some of you grammatical nuts out there that are just ripping mad that I spelt it that way. <laughs> you feel a constant lack, like, I'm just not enough. I'm, I'm inferior. And so you live under this uh, self-belief. Uh, you're, never, you're, you're always measuring yourself, and you're always falling short. And I remember a number of years ago, our family went to Disneyland my youngest son, Silas, he was four years old. And uh, fortunately, Silas was uh, a tall four-year-old, so he could ride almost every single ride, um, and except for Indiana Jones. And I remember we walked up to the Indiana Jones measuring line. You have to be this tall, and he was like right underneath it. And Lisa and I look at each other. She's like, I guess one of us has to stay with Cy. And I drew the short straw. Uh, and I stood there with Cy, and uh, Lisa and Joel and Luke went and rode Indiana Jones, and they got off, and they were like, I think that's the best ride we had all week. It's <laughs> like, oh, I missed out. And I st- you know, it's eight years ago, and I actually still think about that often. I was like, that Indiana Jones ride, I wish I would have gotten on that one. Um, but, but we don't quite, we have these measuring lines, and we don't quite meet these lines, and we feel inferior. And so we live in the land of Ur, never quite enough. Um, but comparison also goes the other way. That's only half the problem. You measure the opposite way as well. You, f- you look at somebody else's lawn or someone else's life, and you say, well, they're a little heavier than me. They're a little shorter. They're poorer than me, so I must be doing okay. And so we do comparison the other way too, and it leaves us feeling superior. Whether you're comparing yourself to others to feel inferior or superior, you will find no matter which line of that measuring that you land up on, end up on, that you will feel increasingly lack of contentment and joy. Comparison will always rob you of joy. It'll rob you of thankfulness, of gratitude, of enjoyment. And so we call this the comparison trap because it's a trap. And the truth is, and this is kind of the theme of the the whole series that we're doing, is that there's no win in comparison. Let's say that together. There's no win in comparison. And as we live in the land of Ur, we find ourselves in increasing debt. Maybe you have debt because you've spent 
too long staring at someone else's lifestyle and you think, I got to have that, I got to live like that in order for me to be happy. And you find that you've accumulated debt. Maybe you're dieting yourself to death because you're looking at someone that you might never look at thinking you got to look like them and then you'll finally be content and happy. Maybe you're dating yourself to death. You're sick of attending other people's weddings. You're sick of being the bridesmaid and never the bride. And so over time, you begin to lower your standards, compromise. And maybe you're driving somebody crazy. And my my guess is if you're caught in the comparison trap, you might be driving your spouse crazy as you're never content. You're never satisfied. You're always searching, striving. You're never just okay with where you are. Maybe you're driving your kids crazy because they have the sense that they're never quite good enough for mom or dad. They didn't quite get good enough marks. They didn't achieve enough. And you've actually projected this comparison onto your kids. Or maybe you're just driving yourself crazy and you're just frustrated that you can't ever seem to be okay. There's no win in comparison. And even before Theodore Roosevelt told told us that uh, comparison is the thief of joy, uh, we had wise people in history that told us that. Uh, And so there's a guy in the Bible named Solomon. And uh, Solomon recognized this uh, 3,000 years ago, not just 100 years ago, 3,000 years ago, uh, he was King David's son, and he had it all. He had 12,000 horses, we're told in the scriptures. He had 1,400 chariots. Uh, He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Uh, And I know some of you are thinking, I wouldn't call that having it all. Uh, You know, having one wife is one thing, but 700 wives, whoo! This man was known for his wealth. He was known for how much he accumulated, but he was also known for his wisdom, He had everything that he could ever want, uh, and through those experiences, he actually learned some wisdom. He composed 3,000 Proverbs, wrote Song of Songs, Book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Um, And so there's a profound wisdom that came from Solomon as he accumulated everything that he wanted, everything that he could get, um, and he realized that it wasn't quite all it was cracked up to be. In Ecclesiastes 4, he says this, And I saw that all the toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. All the striving, all the working every day is motivated from one person's envy of another. And actually in the original Hebrew language which this was written in, uh, this can mean two things simultaneously the way it's written. It, it, It can mean that envy motivates other people to work, but it also means that the possessions that you have achieved or accumulated through work cause other people to envy you. It means both end. And so Solomon realized something quite profound, that there's this vicious cycle of envy and comparison that drives us into our activity. If we see somebody else that has something we don't or, or uh, living a life that we want, it drives us to work and to toil towards that. And as we achieve and as we accumulate and as we have things, it actually causes somebody else to envy us, and then they do the same thing, and it creates this vicious culture and cycle of comparison that just starts feeding off each other. We feed off each other. So Solomon recognizes this vicious like cycle of accumulation. When someone has something you want, makes you want it more, you work harder. And then when you get more, it's actually doing the same thing to other people. And then we are just driving each other forward into this comparison trap. And so he goes on to say, this too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. 
this pursuit, this accumulation, this always desire to have more, to have something you don't have, to compare yourself against somebody else, to be envious, it's meaningless. It's chasing the wind. Have you ever tried to catch the wind? Has anybody tried to catch the wind? There's no hands up in here. You know why? Because you know what people we, you know what we call people that chase the wind? We call them crazy. We say, you're crazy. You're crazy because you know that you will never be able to catch the wind. You'll never be able to contain it. You'll never be able to grab it. Uh, it's impossible. You can't attain the wind. So to summarize what Solomon is saying, he's saying, I saw people determining where they were based on where everyone else was. I saw people determining where they were based on where everyone else was. And this makes people crazy. Okay, so what's the answer, Solomon? Should we not work? Should we not toil? Should we not uh, put energy towards anything? Should we just become lazy and a bunch of couch couch potatoes? And he says, no, he says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. People who are lazy who put their hands together, don't do anything, don't toil, don't work, ruin themselves. And in the Hebrew language, it literally says that they eat their own flesh. So if you're a fool, if you're a lazy person, if you decide, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything, it says you will self-destruct. It will be to your own detriment. So, so Solomon gives us this predicament. He says, if you work and work and work and accumulate wealth, uh, and it's motivated by envy, you're never going to have enough, it's meaningless, it's like chasing the wind. And so if you give up and you do nothing, you're going to self-destruct, and your flesh, it's like your flesh is just going to eat itself. Oh, thanks, Solomon. Uh, where's the good news in that? Is there, is there a third option, please? And he says there is a third option. If we keep reading, uh, in the next verse, he says, better one handful, one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Better one hand filled with peace and contentment with what you have than two handfuls of toil and chasing after the wind. And this word tranquility, it means satisfaction, contentment, peace. Toil, in this sense, means labor, misery, endless work. So it's not just talking about your your job. It's not saying your job is bad. It's saying this, this endless work towards more towards acquiring more, to being better, to, to, to just getting more stuff, it, that this toil, it's misery, it's endless work. And so he says, better tranquility than toil. One hand full of tranquility than two hands filled with toil. I want you to, to do something uh, for me for a second. I want you to squeeze both of your fists, clench your fists as tight as you can. This is what toil, he says, feels like. Just squeeze them. You're chasing the wind. You're trying to catch it. So just hold it, hold it, hold it. And then release, release your fist and open your hands. Open a hand. Doesn't this feel better? Let's do it one more time. Squeeze your fist for 10 seconds. And then let go and open your hand. See, this feeling is what Solomon is describing what happens when we compare. This, you're tense. You're not yourself. You're not at peace. You're not experiencing contentment. A picture of an open hand full of tranquility is, this is a picture of what you actually already have. 
And he's saying, better one handful, one open hand, better one handful recognizing the good things that you have, the life that you have, the people in your life, the place that you live. Better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls of something that you can't grasp. The psalmist, King David, said, The Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. I lack nothing. I want you to open your hand one more time and hold it in front of you and say this with me. I lack nothing. This is the truth. This is wisdom. Solomon is saying, you lack nothing. It's better to have one handful of tranquility, recognizing what you have, being content with what you have, learning to live with the joy of where you are right here. Not always striving to get there or there. Doesn't mean you don't work hard. Doesn't mean that you're lazy. It means that you live with a peace and a contentment that recognizes and is thankful and grateful for where you are. I lack nothing. You lack nothing. At the beginning of my sabbatical, not only did I um, try and work on my lawn, uh, I tried to work on a lot of different things. and I was miserable. I'm, I'm just, this is full confession. My first few weeks, when I stopped work last spring, I was miserable. Uh, and I, I had a few people ask me, you know, how's the sabbat- sabbatical going? And I had to choose to be honest or just to tell them what they wanted to hear. Oh, it's great. Uh, the truth was, it was terrible. Uh, and I, there, it was about a week and a bit in, and I remember Lisa just, she looked at me and she said, what's wrong with you? <laughs> She's like, you're miserable. Why are you so uptight? And I, over the course of my time, I'd been meeting with a spiritual director, a spiritual mentor, uh, and he was helping me understand what was happening inside of me. And, uh, and he was forcing me to ask these hard questions in life of who am I when I'm not doing something, when I'm not achieving something, when I'm not competing. It's amazing what happens when all of a sudden you have an open schedule and you don't know what to do with yourself you realize how much of this you've been doing and you didn't even realize it. And then when I stopped, when I slowed down long enough, I realized how anxious I was, how, uh, how much I was just competing and, and, and pushing and uh, you know, all, of these, all of these things that we're talking about were just under the surface in my life. And then when I had nothing to compete for or strive for or nothing to do or, uh, you, know, uh, you know, people didn't care what I was doing. And I, and I was like, this feels, this, this is hard. Uh, because I realized that I was not content with just who I was, with where I was. And so I want to encourage you, the next time you feel yourself going over there and not being okay with here, uh, ball up your fists and then open your hand. Next time you feel the, the, the thief kind of entering your mind, wanting to steal your joy through comparison, ball up your fist for 10 seconds, then open your hand and say, which life do I want? Do I want to live with tranquility, with contentment, with peace? Do I want to live with this anxiousness, the striving that's never going to end? Which way will you choose to live? 
Can you imagine no longer using other people in your life as a measuring stick to how you're doing or how you're not doing? Comparison is exhausting. It robs us of peace. It robs us of joy. And we all have this thing in us, if we're really, really honest with ourselves, where we want certain people to fail so that we can feel better about ourselves. Can you imagine what it would be like to authentically celebrate the good things in somebody else's life and not feel like that's taking away from your life? Wouldn't that be beautiful? How much more life-giving it would be to celebrate with others rather than compare. There's a better way. The Bible tells us there's a better way. Jesus leads us into a better way. There's no win in comparison. It is a lose-lose game. And you know this, and I know this intuitively, yet we find ourselves there. So as we go through the series, as we head into this next week, I want to encourage you to unclench your fist, to open your hand, to choose one handful of tranquility rather than two handfuls of toil and chasing after the wind. Jesus, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life that you have showed us how to live. Lord, that you had everything. In Philippians 2, we know that uh, it teaches us that you actually gave up your rights as God to become like one of us. That you you chose actually to live a simple, content life. You You chose to walk a path of suffering for us. You chose to model for us what it meant to live in full identity of what God the Father thinks of us and not get caught in the comparison game of everyone around us. So Jesus, may we follow you. May we learn to be content. May we trust that we lack nothing. May we learn to believe that to the core of our beings. May our contentment and our joy overflow to our spouses, to our kids, to our friends, to our neighbors. May we be a part of a reverse cycle as we encourage and we celebrate the people around us that we we could actually not make envy and competition contagious, but we could make joy contagious. We can make encouragement contagious. We can make peace contagious. Lord, help us to be people that live with one handful of tranquility. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. you to have a a seat for a quick second here. Um, As we close, I want to leave you with a few questions to reflect on. And, um, you know, if you're a part of a small group, these might be questions that you want to take to your group uh, and ponder together. Uh, They might be things you want to take uh, in your morning or evening or whenever you do your your devotional time, your time with God to to reflect on and to pray through. when you played sport, games or sports as a child, were you a good loser? How did you handle winning? I was a terrible loser. Um, still am. Uh, I remember yelling at a friend's, one of my friend's wives one time when, we, when uh, I was losing at a board game. Uh, I've had some sad moments in my life. Uh, how did you handle winning? Uh, number two, have you ever had to work hard to meet someone else's expectations? How did it affect your relationship with that person. What is your greatest ambition in life right now? Is that an ambition motivated at all by comparing yourself to others? Are you exhausted or broke from trying to keep up with friends or neighbors? 
Is there anyone you secretly enjoy seeing fail? I know it's probably not something you want to admit to very many people, uh, but maybe uh, in your time with the Lord, you could be honest with him. Uh, What can you do to extend that person grace? What is one thing that you can do this week to allow the thought of tranquility to contentment to help you pause in the midst of the comparison trap? Uh, So we'll leave these on the screen. I would encourage you to take a picture uh, to reflect on these questions. Uh, It's one thing for us to to contemplate and think about these things on a Sunday, but uh, I think if we want to become more like Jesus, it's important that we start to digest and wrestle with with some of these things uh, as we go about our week. Uh, I want to pray for you uh, as we, when the service concludes, we'll have prayer teams at the front. Uh, If you want to pray for anything, uh, maybe you got a praise item that you want to celebrate with somebody. Maybe uh, you're going through a, through a rough time in your life. Maybe there's something that you felt the Lord pressing on your heart. Uh, we always have prayer teams available after our services uh, because we think it's important that we go with the Lord, go to the Lord uh, with others, have other people lift us up and to pray for us. Um, it's such a blessing, so I'd encourage you uh, to do that with our prayer folks. Uh, let's pray. Again, Lord, we just uh, pray that you would teach us as we wrestle uh, the truth that we lack nothing. That we lack nothing. I pray that you would give us the courage to be honest with you and ourselves. That we would begin to be honest about our motivations behind why we do what we do, why we work where we work, why we're driven the way we're driven. Lord, we want to be driven by calling. We want to live from a place of contentment. May we become aware, Lord, of the motives that we often ignore. May we become aware of the places in our lives where we're clenching our fists and we're getting exhausted and we're losing our joy. Lord, you call us to a life of fullness and joy. Lord, we want to experience that life that you have for us. So would you continue to teach us and lead us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said. Amen. Thank you for coming. Look forward to seeing you guys next week. Again, we have prayer teams available. Um, Have a great week.